0: and welcome those of you who are back in the room. We're glad that you are here. And those of you who are watching online, thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the services. And uh, we know that that is the way whereby our church through this COVID crazy has been able to grow exponentially. So thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing. So glad to see you. We're in a brand new series starting this weekend, a Christmas series called Expect the Unexpected. We thought it was kind of an appropriate title given the year we've all had, right? Expect the unexpected. And so uh, when you read the Christmas story, you see time after time how that those key characters in the Christmas story had unexpected things hit their life. I mean, it opens with the shocking news to Mary that she will bear the Christ child. That was totally unexpected. She had her life well-ordered. Joseph and uh, Mary were gonna be married. They had everything planned out, and all of a sudden, in the middle of all of their plans, God just interrupted things, and it was an unexpected thing. So throughout the Christmas story, time and time again, you see where there were unexpected things that happened and how in each case, God showed up in a big way. And can I tell you, that hadn't changed one bit. God still shows up in the unexpected events that happen in our life. Everyone in the room has gone through something in your life that you would call unexpected, unplanned, sometimes even unwanted. But in every experience, if you think about it and you're sensitive to it, you'll see where God has been in it. He has a plan, he has a a reason for all things, there's a reason for every season, and certainly if you're in a difficult season, God has a point, he has a purpose, you may not see it now, but he is doing something in your life whether you realize it or not. Listen, some of the greatest work that Jesus ever did in redeeming mankind, he did in the silence of the cross. So sometimes in those silent moments when you can't feel him or you can't sense him or you can't see him, God may be doing some of the deepest work in your life. So understand it is in those unexpected events, God has a way of showing up. And this series, we're gonna be talking again about how through these experiences of life, God has a way of working his plan and working his will. Nothing catches him by surprise. That's why he is sovereign. Jesus said concerning himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. He is the beginning of a thing and he is the end of the thing. And he'll see the thing through. God will not leave you. Listen, he does everything with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. He is a a purposeful God. And so the series is a heart series. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about ways whereby in the holiday season to have a, a healthy heart. Even in the unexpected experiences of this season, how your heart can be healthy. Now, I'm not talking about your muscle that's pumping blood through your body and I hope your heart is healthy in that way. But I'm talking about what the Bible talks about when it speaks of the heart, where it says believe in your heart, trust in your heart, love with all your heart. Well, what does that mean? What, what is it when the Bible speaks of the heart, and I'm talking to you about a healthy heart in the holiday season, what do I mean by that? Well, the heart is composed of, uh, comprised of three essential things, in my estimation. It involves, first of all, your mind, your mind, your intellect, to be able to reason. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together. If I'm gonna receive Jesus, I have to reason that out in my mind. So part of my heart involves my mind, You don't check your mind at the door and let some pastor, teacher, preacher think for you. You think for yourself, we all do that. So uh, part of our heart is our our mind, and not only is our mind, it is our will, what we do with that. Uh, You'll go in the direction of your your thoughts, so it's important that you think right. It's important that your mind is healthy. You, You say what's on your mind. Out of the abundance of the heart, Matthew 12, 34 says, the mouth speaks. Uh, So what's in that heart will be illustrated through your words and through your actions. So we need a healthy mind, we need uh, healthy actions. We wanna make sure what we're doing doesn't hurt anybody, we don't hurt ourselves. And then the third part of our heart is not only our our mind and our our, uh, will, but it's our emotion. We feel with the heart, we sense with the heart, we grieve with the heart. That's why we say our hearts are broken. What do we mean by that? We mean we are emotionally broken. We're saying we're grieving in our heart. Uh, you say to someone, I love you with all my heart. That means at the core of my being, with all that I am, I love all that you are. That's what we mean when we say that. Well, I'm real interested in the holiday seasons with us having a healthy heart. So again, this is a heart series. And this morning, I want to talk to you for a little while about having joy in a stressful heart. One of the things the holiday seasons will do, and you'll probably agree with me on this, is it will amp up the stress level just a tick. Would you agree with that? It will bring the stress on. In fact, mental health experts have actually studied this phenomenon, and they say typically, typically, the top stressor that you'll go through in life is always consistently finances, and then they say the second stressor in in life typically is health-related, and the third stressor in life typically is relational, so those are generally the top three, but when you get into the holiday season where you and I are right now, guess what comes in number two behind finances? Christmas, <laughs> right behind it. In fact, they've coined a term, it's called festive stress. They've actually got their own term for this. Festi- and when you think about it, Christmas is the only holiday with a countdown. Just to amp up the stress, it's the only one that has a countdown. We're getting closer, we're day closer, Oh my gosh, we're day closer. And they say that the reason there's so much more stress in the holidays is, first of all, you have family engagements. Now, I know for most of us, uh, family is a wonderful thing. and You don't have any outliers. There's no, no, no member of your family that you are you know, worried about seeing because they're drama mamas and they bring it when they come. I know nobody in the room or watching has anything like that, but I've been told, I've been told that there are some families that have to deal with that at the holiday time. That's why I love that old line by George Burns. He says, true happiness is a large, loving, caring family in another city. <laughs> So some people can relate to that. So they say that's the family. They say another stressor around this time of the year is buying gifts. What do they want? What do they need? What should I buy? How much do I spend? What if they don't like it? What if it doesn't fit? Can they take it back? Should I go to the store? Should I shop online? And you have all that pressure. And then the third stressor, again, is, is finances. How am I gonna pay for this? You know, If you're not careful, jingle bells becomes juggle bills real quick. So you worry about that. And then, and then you just have the gathering itself, the getting together, you know, with COVID. Do we gather how many should come? Should we, do, what if we don't invite them? Are they gonna get hurt? I mean, so you got, you got added, so, so you get the picture here, there's some stress. You get a little stress, now, now let me say this about stress. Not all stress is bad. Not all stress, you don't wanna completely be de- de-stressed. If you don't have a little stress on your life and you don't have a little stress in your life, you won't get up tomorrow, you just chill. <laughs> Like that French philosopher that says, I have so much to do today, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> but you need a little stress to get up and get going, to get your day going. You won't go to work, you won't try to make a sale, you won't try to meet a client, you won't do anything without, you got. listen, you need some stress. These guys up here playing these instruments, the reason these instruments perform so beautifully is not only are they talented musicians, but there's stress on the string. But the problem with the stress on the string, you have to know how to tune the stress. You need stress on your string, you just know how you gotta gotta tune it. You see, your your life will not make uh, music. You will not have harmony in your home if there's too much stress on your string. Uh, If there's too little stress on your string, you won't have harmony either. And so I'm suggesting if there's too little stress, the music is dull. If there's too much stress, the music is shrill. And so you can be a shrill person uh, on edge all the time, going off on people all the time. Just, uh, I mean, just, you, you know, you go around with a hammer back cock pointed at people, just daring them to cross you, you know? And so you got too much stress on your string. You got stress on your string. You say, how, how can I tell if I have too much stress on your string? Well, one way to tell is ask the person who knows you the best and loves you the most to be honest with you. Now let them do that. Because if you got a lot of stress on your string, you may snap. So don't snap on them. Let them tell you, and they'll say, honey, yeah, you, you, look, you wound a little tight. You, you're a little stressed right now, right? And so that they can help you tune your life a little bit. Another way you can do this kind of self-evaluation, listen, when stress begins to affect the level of joy in your life, you've got too much stress on the string. Now, when I say joy, I, I'm not saying happiness. Happiness, the word, our word, our English word comes from the old English word, hap, uh, which means um, happenstance was the old English word. We don't use that word, we use this word, circumstance. So it it was said that if your hap is good, if you have a good happenstance, you're happy. If your hap is bad, you're unhappy. So hap is circumstantial, it's surface. Uh, You can be happy one moment and unhappy the next moment. So uh, happiness kinda goes all over the page. So you have to understand what I'm talking about this morning is not happiness, I'm talking about joy. Joy is that sense of peace that comes within your heart and soul. Joy is what can, you, can hap, you, you can have when your happenstance is bad. You can have joy in your sorrow. You can have joy in your grief. You can have joy. Uh, you can have joy in the midst of a storm. You can have joy when you don't feel like smiling. You can have joy when you are not happy. Trust me on that. There's a lot of times that you're gonna go through things in life that will keep you from being happy, but they don't have to keep you from being joyful. And one of the things that will attack your joy is the stress on your heart. Uh, I remember when I was growing up in my dad's church in Sunday school, I had a Sunday school teacher, and the, the, back then they had what they called flannel graphs. Some of you might remember that method of teaching and she was teaching on joy. I've never forgotten it. I have got a lot of stuff, but I didn't forget this. She was teaching on joy, and she put a a cross stick up of joy. She she said, all right, boys and girls, here's joy. J-O-Y, that's joy. She said, now, if you wanna know a good way to have joy in your life, here's how you do it. She said, number one, J is Jesus. You gotta have Jesus first in your life. He's gotta be first. You gotta know him as your savior. You have to follow him as your Lord. You need to know Jesus. So Jay is Jesus, and she said, oh, that's others. That's putting others first. That's preferring others before yourself. Now, listen, I've learned that's not only good theology, that's good psychology. One of the best things you can do for you when you're going through a difficult time that's affecting your joy is do something for someone else. Reach out to someone going through something and just say, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? God's put you on my heart. I, 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 wanna, I, just, I don't wanna get in your business. <laughs> I, don't, I don't wanna invade your space. I just want you to know you're being thought of today and prayed for today, and that's all you need to do. Just do a drive-by you know, greeting. How are you? Keep going. So you got Jesus, you have others, and then the why is you. Take care of yourself. But keep yourself in the proper place if you're going to have real joy in your life. It can't be all about you. And so well, what was a beautiful picture that was illustrated in that way when I was a child, never forgotten it. And I think really, guys, is something to it. It's possible to have, have joy, and it's possible to keep the stress in the right perspective on the string. A great illustration of someone who did that in a beautiful way was the Apostle Paul. In fact, when the Apostle Paul wrote what I'm gonna share with you this morning, he was chained between members of the Praetorian Guard of Rome, which were the top military soldiers of the day, and he was chained between these guards. They were changing them out, different guards would guard him around the clock for a period of time, and he was waiting trial before Caesar. Now, what he was waiting trial on was treason. The accusation was Paul was guilty of treason. He was guilty of treason because he was preaching that Jesus Christ that they had crucified was risen and he was Lord. Well, the law of the land of that day was no one is Lord other than Caesar. You cannot swear an allegiance to anyone higher than Caesar uh, or you're considered traitorous. So uh, he said, look, I mean, I respect Caesar. I render under Caesar the things that are Caesar. I pay my taxes, I, I'm a good citizen. Uh, but at the same time, there's no one above Jesus in my life. Well, that gave him some heartburn. And if you remember when Jesus was crucified, uh, the, the Pharisees first brought the accusation, He claims to be God. that's blasphemous. He should be put to death. The, the Roman authorities didn't care about that. They didn 't care if he's God. They were polytheistic. They said maybe he is. We'll put him on our, you know, we'll, we'll put his picture on our mantle along with the other gods we worship. I don't know. Maybe he is. We're not going to offend the gods. Well, that didn't get it. So when they came back, regrouped, and they said, oh, wait a minute. He claims to be a king. You remember, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about the wise men who said, where is he who is born king? Didn't say, where is the one coming to be king? He said he was born. He was the king in the manger. He's born king, Matthew 2. So that's, what, the, that's what, what was the sentence that hung over Jesus. In fact, the superscription above the cross was, here is Jesus, King of the Jews. So Rome crucified Jesus because of treason. That was the accusation, Paul knew that. He knew all about that. That was the accusation of Paul. It was gonna be the same thing. So he knew, my point is, he knew his fate was sealed. He knew that there was nothing he could do to get past this punishment of death, and yet, guys, don't miss this. The whole writing of the Apostle Paul is not despair. It's not jailbreak. (laughs) The whole writing of Apostle Paul, the theme of Philippians, the letter he wrote to those believers in Philippi, was joy, joy. Yeah, when the hap is bad, when the circumstance is bad, you can have joy. Now, you put yourself in his place, and you have to ask yourself, would I be as joyful if I, if I were facing what he's facing? I mean, here's a man that's done nothing but do what God has called him to do. He's given his life to loving, serving, and following after God, and now he ends up where he is. Have you ever tried to connect those dots in your life? Have you ever found yourself in an unexpected situation like the Apostle Paul, and you start saying, man, I, I don't, where did I miss this? I mean, I don't know, God, why this and why me and why now, this is not fair. I'm saying, I've been there, I've done that, I understand that emotion, but I'm saying, somehow Paul worked through that and got to the other side of that where he could say, I found joy. He's not happy, but he's joyful. He's not stressed, but he's rejoicing. And I think I found the secret to it and I wanna share with you with this. Share this with you, and then we'll go. Look in Philippians 1. Look at verse 3. Paul said, I I thank my God. First and foremost was God. Remember Jesus first? And what is he thanking God for? For every remembrance of you. Uh Uh-oh, there's others. He's not thinking about himself. He said, look, I'm, I'm thanking God. I'm thanking God for you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all. Note now with joy. I'm doing this with joy. Let me tell you where my heart is right now so you know it's full of joy. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what's good for you, what's best for you. I'm thinking about you and I'm doing it with joy. I'm praying for your fellowship in the gospel. I've been praying for you from the first day until now. And here's what I'm confident of, that the God who started the work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. God has a purpose. God has a plan, he's working in your life. So so just don't despair. Don't give up, don't give in, don't give out. Let your heart be filled with joy and know your heavenly Father has you. He has this, this is gonna work out. Let me give you four thoughts, thought one. If you're gonna have this kind of joy, you need a perspective, a perspective to live from. The right perspective. Look down in verse 12, he said, I want you to know, the things that happened unto me have actually turned or fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. Joyful people have the right perspective. Paul said, here's my perspective. God has allowed some things into my life and I'm not gonna carry those things. I'm gonna release those things. I'm gonna use those things for my good and his glory, but I'm gonna release those things. I'm not gonna hold on to those things. He said, I've let those things fall out. I trust him. Some people have trouble with that. Uh, Some people can't let things go and sometimes people can't let people go especially if they're hard things and especially if they're hurtful people. And we hold on to them, I think, sometimes thinking that if I let them go or if I let it go, they got by with it. So somehow in holding on to them or holding on to it, we we sometimes feel we can bring about a sense of justice for ourselves because if we let it go or we let them go, they got by with it. And God, on the other hand, is saying you need a different perspective. You need to know. I got a plan. Nobody gets by with anything. I'll take care of them as I'm going to take care of you. Now, understand, I'm not saying that there aren't times when you confront someone. I'm not saying there aren't times when you deal with things and you try to fix things. I'm suggesting to you that after you've dealt with it and you've tried to fix it, when you've tried to do what you could do to make the thing right and there's no making it right, you have a decision to make. Do I hold it? Do I release it? Do I hold on to them or do I release them? You know, the, one of the uh, definitions of the word forgive is, is to release, release. That's why the international sign of defiance is a clenched fist. And, and, and the sign for, for love and assistance is an open hand. And I'm just suggesting that sometimes you hold on to something so tightly for so long that your hand hurts, your arm hurts, your body hurts, puts you in a bad mood, you got a lot of stress on the string, and what Paul said is, I've had to take the things that are out of my control and I've had to learn to let those things go knowing God has a plan, he started this work, he'll complete this work, I can trust him and I can learn how to release this stuff. So we had that perspective. Paul had this perspective, he wrote about it in Romans 8 when he said all things work together for good. Didn't say all things were good, they're not. He said all things work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And then the very next verse says, verse 29 says, God will use those things, watch this now, to conform us into the image of his son. So Paul had that right perspective. And that perspective affected the level of joy in his heart, second thought. Not only did he find the perspective, but number two, he found a priority to live by. What was Paul's priority? Look down in verse 18. On that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, that Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. What was Paul rejoicing in? The fact that Jesus was being proclaimed, that Christ was being preached. Jesus was the priority of Paul's life. Don't miss that. He was first. Paul said, man, when I hear somebody's preaching Jesus, whether they're sincere or insincere, as long as they're preaching Jesus, I'm great with that. Because he's the focus of my life, he's the thrust of my heart. I I want everyone to know about Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me. He was the priority. Remember I said Romans 8, 29, he's using all of those things to conform us into the image of Jesus. Paul recognized that everything that was going on in his life was making him look a little more like Jesus, to be more loving and accepting and forgiving like Jesus, to be more joyful like Jesus. I've told you before, your life may be the only picture of Jesus somebody ever sees. The only glimpse of God somebody ever may get is what they see in your life. The only Bible they may ever read is the Bible they read through your life. So don't minimize the fact that people are watching you, you influence someone, you affect another life. There's collateral damage around you and there's also people around you who will be blessed by you. So live with that that understanding, that perspective, that priority. You see, Paul said Jesus is the most significant one. He's the most important one in my life. Here's what I found, and I've shared this with you before we talk of priority. You'll either live your life according to priority or you'll live your life by pressure. You'll live your life according to the priorities you establish or you'll live your life according to the pressures other people put on you. The most miserable person hearing me this morning is that person that is so saturated by being a people pleaser. (laughs) Because you live your life trying to please everyone in your life and you get home and you have made everybody happy but you. (laughs) And you've allowed them to steal your joy. You've let other people put too much stress on your string. Their emergency becomes your urgency. And I'm saying, if you don't live your life according to your priority, you'll live your life according to the pressure they put on you, and believe me, somebody will run you if you don't run your own life. What's the Bible say how we're to live? He said, so then, every one of us, get this now, will give an account of themselves before God, Romans 14. One of these days, I'm gonna give an account of myself before God what I did, didn't do, what difference my life made or no difference at all. And what I can't say to him is, well, they pressured me. <laughs> He's gonna look at me and say, "Who was in charge of you, sport? I don't know if he'll call me sport. But the point I'm making is, I, I, that's not an excuse. So, so stop now and say, I'm tired of living. Look, just get sick and tired of being that sick and tired and say, I'm gonna fix me right now, this morning, today, starting now, I'm gonna live according to priority. Let me give you five biblical priorities. God, Paul said Jesus was first, that's what I mean. Not God in relationship to your religion, I mean God in relationship to your relationship. (laughs) Remember in the top 10, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Start where the Bible starts, Genesis one. In the beginning, God. (laughs) I mean we drive hard to the hoop here every weekend and tell people about Jesus, you know why? Because that's the only message that matters in eternity. We can agree to disagree on all kinds of things in the Bible and there's all kinds of things to study that's interesting and fascinating. And the Bible is a life-giving book. It changes your life every time you read it. But you can agree to disagree on about everything. You can get to heaven, but you can't uh, can't disagree on Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So listen, it doesn't matter what you're right about if you're wrong on Jesus. (laughs) So the priority has to be him. He's first. He's just Jesus. And the number two in the garden, he established a family. You've got the spouse. You care for your spouse. And those of you who are married, you say, that, that's a priority of mine. That, that, that was the institution God established there in the garden was the home. So you have the spouse, and then along comes naturally uh, the kids. That's a priority of your children. And so you you, you wanna make them the priority, you wanna care for them, nurture them, you wanna keep them in an environment where they hear about Jesus, so hopefully as they're old enough and they get older, they can own their own faith. So you have your relationship with your heavenly father, your spouse, your kids. Uh, Fourth priority is your work, your job, your career, your vocation. Uh, Voca is the Latin for calling, voca, vocation is your calling. And some of you, uh, uh, well, all of you have a calling? God has something for you to do. And I'm suggesting that one of the things he told Adam, listen, before sin entered the picture, he, he told Adam, he said, take care of this place. You, you need to do something, son. You need to work. Take care of this place. Now, after sin entered the picture, work got more difficult. There's thorns and bristles and briar, remember that? And sweat of your brow sort of thing. So work is harder because of sin, but he made us, designed us to work. Did you know in eternity one day in heaven, God's gonna have things for us to do? If you're artistic down here, you're gonna be artistic up there. Uh, If you're creative down here, you'll be creative up there. I mean, we're just running on a very tiny uh, uh, ability of of our intellectual capacity in heaven. We'll be perfected in the mind of Christ, so we'll be fully capable of being everything he intended us to be here on the earth. So he designed you to work. Fifth thing is worship. Now in the garden, they had the sacrificial system that was instituted. Remember, Cain slew Abel over a sacrifice, so they understood that. You and I in this economy would say it's church. Church ought to be a a priority. Hebrews 13 said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is or as many do, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we need to be a part of a church, the body of Christ. We need the support, we need the love. And by the way, there's no perfect churches. I'm the first one to tell you that. Those of you watching online, you're looking for a perfect church. If you find it, don't join it. You'll mess it up. There's no perfect church. We don't have perfect pastors. I'm the first one to tell you that. It's not perfection. It's faithfulness. Listen, and where you, let me tell you where you want to be. You don't want to be in a church that checks all your boxes. Stay with me. You want to be in the church you feel God has led you to be in. That's your church. Where, where you're led and fed and guided, and, and then and then when you're there, you you just you you pay for you pay what for what you eat. <laughs> you go to Sonic, you don't go next door to Taco Bell and <laughs> <You> pay them. <laughs> so you give where you receive. What? Well, What's my point? My point is we're connected into a church, and you need that. It ought to be a priority. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. You and ought to love the church. Ought to be a priority. That's five. Now, you can add six, seven, eight, nine. You can just go nuts with your priority, and you ought to have them. But here's the point I'm making. You need priorities. And then here's what I know. When you do these things right, one will never affect the other. When you do them right. Now, when you get out of balance and there's too much stress on the string, one will affect the other. You'll you'll worship your work. Um... (laughs) You'll, you'll play at your worship. You know, you, you, you'll, be, you'll get all these priorities out. I, yeah, I found an old, old recipe for, to make rabbit stew. You know what it was? It says, the first line said, first catch the rabbit. <laughs> Isn't that deep? The point is priority. And if, and if you do them right, one won't affect the other. So you have that third thought. You need a power to live on. You need a power to live on. You look down in verses 19 and 20, he talks about the supply of the Holy Spirit, the power to live on. Listen, what the Holy Spirit will give you, he will give you what you need to get you through whatever you face. You have the power. You have everything you need to get through and to accomplish everything God has designed you to accomplish. You don't need anyone else in your life to do that. You don't need anything else in your life to do that. You say, oh, if I just had her talent. Man, if I could just have, if I could do what he does. No, 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 you're thinking about this the wrong way. God has given you exactly what you need to do his will for your life. I'll prove it. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Let me just stop right there and say, that's a great thought. God has the, the ability to do more than you could ask or imagine. How does he do it? Keep reading, Ephesians 3.20, according to his power at work within us. Wow. How does God do the imaginable? How does God do the incredible? How does God do the immeasurable? How, How does that happen? He does it according to the power at work in us. You've got that ability. Listen, everything you need to do what he's created you to do, he's already equipped you. You've got the right personality. If you're outgoing, just be outgoing. If you're not, don't try to be. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Great little book years ago, Cindy read it, called Please Understand Me. And it's a book that gives you the freedom to be who you are called to be. Sometimes in certain professions people have an expectation that your personality ought to be such and you ought to be more of this and less of that or less of that and more of this. And so people have that expectation. You finally have to free yourself from the expectation of others. Remember, that's pressure, not priority. And give yourself permission to be the person God created you to be. There's nobody better at being you than you. God don't make duplicates and he doesn't create junk. The Psalmist says you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. God designed you unique. Nobody can do what you can do. And sometimes in order for a person to see the beauty that you are and the brilliance that you have, get this, sometimes he has to put you against a dark backdrop. He did with Paul. You ever been in a jewelry store and you wanted to look at an item in the counter? If you'll notice, when they display that item, they'll put it on on a dark backdrop. and They do it by design. Because they want you to see the intricate detail and the beauty of the item that you're thinking about buying and you can only appreciate it against a dark backdrop. Do you realize from time to time in your life and mine, God will put a dark backdrop behind us so that other people can see the brilliance and the beauty that God is working in and through our life. Sometimes it's not the mountain experiences that reflect him as much as it is the valley. Paul understood that. Paul said, I know, God's got a per- I know God's doing something in me. I just want to rely on his power. And it gives me the fourth and final thought that really hits what I'm saying now. You need a purpose to live for. What was Paul's purpose? Look at verse 21. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul said in one place, I'm, I'm here because it's beneficial for, you, for me to be here. I'm helping you. But there'll come a time when it'll be more beneficial for me to be in the presence of my Savior. And Paul said, either way, <laughs> I'm okay, I'm all right, why? Because I know I'm here with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. One of the verses that I share a lot with you and I shared certainly after Cindy went to heaven is that passage, that verse in Ecclesiastes 3.1, remember? To everything there is a season and there's a time to every purpose under heaven. So life is seasonal, we're in a season. It's a season, Christmas season. But it might be a sorrowful season, might be a hard season, might be a challenging season. Life is seasonal. But in those seasons of life, listen, according to Ecclesiastes 3.1, God will give you time as long as you have purpose. And the minute your purpose is over, he'll call you home. You'll hear a voice no one else hears. The voice will be come home child, come up higher. You'll step from the temporal into the eternal as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, you'll be absent from your body you'll be present with the Lord, and you'll hear him say, I pray, well done. Good and faithful servant, not perfect, but faithful. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Paul heard that, and Paul knew I'm here. I'm here for purpose. So friend, as I close this morning, my prayer for you is, my prayer for you is that you'll have joy in this season. Your happiness might not be there, Maybe something relationally going on that's stolen your happiness. Maybe some financial setback, some work-related issue. Maybe a health issue that you're dealing with right now. Maybe just the burden of someone in your world, a loved one or whatever, And, and right now, you'd have to say, in the holiday season, I can't say that I'm happy. I understand that, but what I am saying, regardless of who you are or where you are, you may not be happy, you can have joy. You can have joy, and joy will help you deal with the stress of that heart. That's why Jesus said again, let not your heart be troubled. He didn't say not let your heart grieve. He said don't let it be troubled. To be troubled is to be confused, is to be overwhelmed, it's to be, you know, in distress. He said don't let it be troubled. So I say to you, have a joyful heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word never returns void. Isaiah said it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. So I pray as your word has gone out on these three platforms that we stream on and has gone out in this room, I pray that it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Help us, as James said, not to just hear your word, but to put it into practice. And Father, I pray for all who are watching the service now who have never trusted you as Savior, I pray that you'll give them the courage, the honesty and transparency to swallow their pride and humble their heart and pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. That's my prayer today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.